on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers in our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 49, created on August 20th, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me are Jeff in Minnesota, Neil on the East Coast, and our guest tonight, Bill Johnson from 1430 ESPN Beaver Dam. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, tonight I'm having a Firestone Walker 2022 Vintage Gold Rider. So I was just in uh, Canada, A, eh, and so I got some Canadian beer. So I got the Slake Stones Throw IPA from Ontario, A. Eh? After years and years and years, and JD can attest to this, of hitting all those world-famous happy hours in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, at places like Buffy's Lampoon and the Big Boon Saloon, where you tapped your own beer off of the wall. I over-celebrated at my buddy's dad's celebration of life and <laughs> decided to quit drinking. So I'm about 14 and a half months sober, and I'm drinking water for uh, this evening. But I, 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 that doesn't impede my ability to say stupid things. So, Bill, congratulations on that. Stay hydrated. All right. I have a okay. tried and true uh, Crown and Coke tonight. There you go. Good choice. Thank you. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And just the audio is available on Spotify by searching for Green Bay Chat. Well, we're still in the preseason, so we're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers preseason and look at some players who we think are working their way into the team and maybe working their way out of the team. The big topic right now, talking about player injuries and suspended games. We'll look at that. We'll take a peek ahead at the gold package game as Seattle comes into town this weekend. Uh, but first, I want to introduce our guest. Bill Johnson is a guy I went to college with at UW-Stevens Point. As mentioned, he is on 1430 ESPN Beaver Dam. Jeff, uh, you'll be happy to know Beaver Dam is the home of the Golden Beavers. But along with that, Bill, you uh, also have some Facebook Live that you do every once in a while. People can catch you. You're in the studio right now. You do some some music as well. Oh, yeah. You know, I uh, I play for a band called the Dam Heathens with Dam spelled like Beaver Dam. Since our bass player moved to the home of one of the guys, he's in Minnesota, so we only play once or twice a year. We played last week at the Thirsty Beaver here in Beaver, and we're just full of names <laughs> over here. But uh, John, we need a road trip. This is what I'm. Oh hearing. my gosh! Yeah, we'll take yeah, we'll take pictures, hey, gotta, Jeff. I'll I'll let you know next time the uh, next time the damn heathens play. But uh, and I'm mean, I actually gonna. This is the set of my little Facebook Live thing that I do. I call it Live in Bill's Basement, and I do it every Friday night at six o'clock on Facebook. So if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, you can catch that. But I worked in uh, sports radio. I was kind of there at the beginning for dedicated sports radio in the Milwaukee area. I worked out of the little station in Waukesha, fifteen ten a.m. Uh, along with guys like Chuck Freeman and Bruce Marcus and Craig Kalibi and Steve Haywood, my uh, my good friend that I worked with for years who passed away uh, a while back. But I was kind of in on the beginning of that. And then a guy named Craig Carmison came along and bought our station and changed everything. And I don't know if you know, but recently he bought WTMJ and he's uh, kind of the main guy at ESPN Radio National now, too. So he's he's done some good things and I'm I'm back to working with them now. Uh, on a, a part-time basis so and other than that I've just been Packer fan my whole life and I'm old enough to where I used to go to games where the players used to actually smoke on the sideline and I actually I I, I covered some games where guys actually lit them up in the in the locker room so 
you know, back in the early nineties, there were still a few players that would, uh, would fire him up in the locker room. So you, you couldn't imagine that happening now. Bill, you can name drop as much as you want throughout the show. Everybody you worked with and players you've interviewed, don't worry about it. We'll get some great stories from you. But okay. as far as names go, there's 90 names on the Packer roster and there are guys working their ass off, working their way onto a roster. And some guys who maybe aren't working hard enough, we're going to take a look at who we think is in and out. But the big name that we know needs to be in and is going to be in, Neil, we are looking at Jordan Love. How do you like him so far? Well, let's just start out. He just made his home debut. He has played a home game at Lambeau Field. And yes, it is the preseason, but just you had the sense. What we said last episode about training camp and specifically what we have seen in these first two preseason games, Jordan Love has the poise. He's got the moxie. He's got that it factor. And he's certainly shown it in his limited appearances. Two drives against Cincinnati, three drives against New England. But 12 of 20, 130 yards, two touchdowns, one touchdown each game. He's shown those flashes of brilliance that we want to see from him. But most importantly, he has shown that he is not going to be bothered by the moment. He's somebody who's going to play within himself. He's somebody who's going to fit into that Packers mold. And it was just really lovely to see that, you know, you don't know what a new quarterback is going to do. Practice is one thing. It's entirely different when games start. Obviously, we're still not at regular season games. But for example, that touchdown to Jaden Reed in the last game against New England was just brilliant. He had a number of brilliant passes in there. I don't know how Dobbs made that catch that extended that drive. But fundamentally, we saw flashes. We saw things that were going to work. Now we saw some things that were maybe not perfect, but he's still on the right track as far as being a starting quarterback who is capable of certainly being at the very least in the top half of the league, even in his first year. I'll admit, I think in his second season, I was worried a little bit. I think some of his poise was not showing, uh, but it certainly came back last year. And I think, you know, where I really see it coming around is how he handles like the post-game press conferences or even just the on the spot during training camp. And Bill being a guy who, you know, you interview these guys, do you see that? confidence even come out in that situation well it all depends on their personality you know i mean it, it, different guys have different personalities and they can show out well during those situations but all that really matters is what happens on the field and uh i i've been impressed with jordan love i i think he's uh, i think he's played very well i think uh, matt lafleur has been impressed enough with him to to save him uh you know he kind of shares part of my opinion about the preseason you got to get those key guys out of there so something stupid doesn't happen but what what I liked that I saw out of love last night I liked the way that he bounced back from the mistake on the first drive even though it was kind of a I don't know maybe it was a combined mistake between him and Josh Myers you, you go on social media people are nuts somebody was suggesting that Josh Myers might not make the team after that bad snap I'm like are you out of your mind <laughs> but I, I like the way that they bounced back they they had two touchdown drives in a row after that and the other thing that I like with him with such a young crew of receivers and tight ends he showed it a few times in his two drives last night the the faith that he has in these guys not just throwing them body catches throwing them passes where he can throw them out a little bit further so that there's less of a chance of the pass being defensed or being intercepted and has the faith in those young receivers to actually catch it with their hands, which is, you know, one of those things that you can't teach in football It is the, the ability to be able to be a good hands catcher. And I think Dobbs had a couple of catches like that. And Jaden Reed had a catch like that as well. And Luke Musgrave. No, I agree. And and so there was a quarterback that used to play for the Packers that would 
kind of do that with his, his receivers as well, kind of throw them open, if you will. You know, maybe you've heard of him. I think the guy's name is Aaron Rodgers. So, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, he's – that to me, that's a veteran move, right? You trust your receiver. You're going to chuck it out there. And there were some really impressive catches, and that's what you're building on, especially in the preseason. Do those plays work? Does he have that rapport? And it looks like they do. And sort of continuing on with things that he did in that third drive that ended with the touchdown to Jaden Reed, right? He also moved the ball with his legs, right? You know, he showed that he wasn't, you know, one of the things you worry about with younger quarterbacks is that they may run too quickly and he ran at the right time. He got a key first down with his legs. And so he showed all of these elements that we expect him to have this season. We expect him to have, if he's going to be a star for the Packers. Well, and mm-hmm. that's the, the, the thing he's not, you know, like a Justin Fields, that's going to be a run first quarterback. He's not going to sit in the pocket. He's kind of got the, in theory, the best of both worlds, but he's not always looking to run if things break down. He'll just throw it away. Yeah, but I love everything about that first down run. I mean, he the, the pocket collapsed. He stepped up. He still was looking to pass, and he realized how much clearing he had. He had field awareness. He started running forward. He looked back to see how closely he was being chased. He looked to the sideline to see where the first down marker was. He got it. And he did not take any chances and he got his slide and he got the first down and he did what he needed to do to do for his team. That was just awareness all the way around on that play. Field awareness is not just the quarterback, of course. And the best part about that play, other than the pass and catch, was A.J. Dillon. And Quadzilla had an incredible block, some tenacity. And that touchdown pass does not happen if Dillon does not make that block. And, you know, you talk about a team that needs to work together, a team that in which every player is playing their role. That was a perfect example of a team that is playing together. And that was off play action, too, wasn't it? I believe there was a fake handoff. And then, and then yeah, Dillon just popped that block. It's it's one of those things that you look at when, I mean, and obviously it's a part of their job and you need your running backs to block when there's success, but it's something that you could tell that those guys take pride in. It was a um, good block. It was a good block. <laughs> this was not right? some half-assed, you know, running back. Yeah, just just getting in the way. It yeah, was, it was a good block. block and he just kept going on it. It was just gorgeous to watch everybody we've, we've talked so much about what the passing game is going to be like with with love at quarterback and uh the young receivers and the tight ends and how well they've played in the scheme and how they're gonna you know they're gonna give him the opportunity with shorter passes and things like that i really like the way that they ran the ball against the patriots and, and part of that was the fact that their their backs were blocking well but everybody was blocking well i i thought that's the one and, and I know it's just a preseason game and I think less of the preseason than most people do but I, I couldn't help but thinking man if they can run the ball like this they're gonna be a pretty good team if you can go out there and it's, it, Bill Belichick has made his living off this for how many years if you can go out there and you can run it for four or four and a half yards every time you have it I mean, you can get a lot of things accomplished and and that's what they did when they had their first unit in there they ran the ball really effectively. I, I was really impressed. 
And they ran effectively without Aaron Jones doing anything after the first play, right? I mean, imagine when we actually have a game plan that says we're actually going to take advantage of our best running back. Obviously, sure. Matt LaFleur does not want to risk him in the preseason appropriately. But yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. I think that the running game is really going to shine this year in a way that LaFleur always wanted it to shine. But with Aaron Rodgers in the way, he never could do the exact game plans he wanted. I think it's going to be a really exciting year for the running game. Well, and to that point, too, it, it's that, okay, we're going to run the ball now, and you can't do anything about it, or are going to, yeah. you know, or, you know, almost like the the Wisconsin Badger playbook, right? We're going to run this thing 40 times a game. What are you going to do about it? You, and basically nothing. So hopefully that kind of mentality gets picked up as well. Yeah, and the- I, I don't think that that gets emphasized enough in, in, with this Packer team. And it's always been that way. I think I think that's always been a part of LaFleur's mentality. But I think just because they've had Rodgers and they've had, you know, Adams for all the years they had him and the passing game has been, you know, so central, they, they've always had a good running game. And I think yeah. deep down inside, what they want to do is impose their will. Yep. And just run you over a short period of time in a meaningless game, they impose their will against the greatest coach ever. And, and yeah. I think that had to mean something. Absolutely agree. No, that it was, it was good to see. And hopefully that's not going to be forgotten as the season goes on, because my guess too, is that Jordan love is not, you know, he's going to be looking to the running game to bail him out as well. What about on the defensive side of the ball, Neil, who are you liking so far? That's that's strong that we expect to be strong. That's going to is, is really progressed from last year. John, you watched the game, right? I mean, Enigbari was an absolute yes. beast yesterday. <laughs> he was an absolute beast, two sacks, force fumble, then recovers the force fumble. Enigbari clearly has made a leap in his game compared to last year. And you look at that entire front five, you know, your, your front three and your edge rushers and oh my word, we've got so much talent there. And, you know, just a reminder, Kenny Clark wasn't playing yesterday. You know, Wyatt, Wyatt played in a fairly limited role. Rashawn Gary is no, still not made it back out there. We've got Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Devonte Wyatt, Colby Wooden, who had an absolute beast of a game yesterday as well. Lucas Van Ness, relatively limited time out there yesterday, but also somebody that we expect to make major contributions in the pass rush. And then Carl Brooks, who's just really been another one of these stars of the preseason, somebody who performed really well at Bowling Green, but you don't know how Bowling Green's going to translate to the pros. And Carl Brooks has absolutely passed the eye test so far this year. So, you know, as far as rookies, the the Wooden and the Brooks add that to Enigbari making a leap and the players that we had last year and the players that we didn't have most of last year because of an ACL injury that we're going to make the opposing quarterbacks feel the pass rush and put some pressure on. I think that's where our defense really has the opportunity. Of course, the D backs then can take advantage of that pressure, but you know, we're not going to need to blitz all the time in order to put that pressure on. We've got a great rotation of players who are going to be able to push the pass rush and really get the quarterback down. Well, and if there's going to be something worthwhile in the preseason, we mentioned Love and the offense bouncing back from the the blown snap and the turnover on the first drive. It seems like Valentine has been in on every single play on defense, and he got burned on on the one touchdown. But he bounced back, and he he played well again. So I I thought that that was big. I think he's going to be a contributor on some level for them. And the other thing that I liked, and again, it's it's not a specific player. It's more of a scheme thing there was a few times and I think even one of the sacks that they got, they did it rushing four. That's kind of like 
running the football down somebody's throat. If you get after the other team's quarterback with four guys rushing, rushing the passer, that helped. There, there was some pretty encouraging things schematically that they did against the Patriots. Well, and hopefully we're getting to that point because there's so much talent, so many high draft picks that they're actually starting to kind of believe in it, whether that's, you know, Joe Barry, he's coaching a little different, you know, maybe because he's seeing the field differently because he's, he's up in the press box. Now he's not on the field. Maybe he's calling the plays differently. I don't know, but that's what we want to see is, is that there's, they, they shouldn't be bad. I mean, they should be really, really good. They totally underperformed last year. Defenses, they're the disruptors, right? They're the ones who early in the season are going to be maybe carrying the day until maybe the offense can can get, you know, into a rhythm or something like that. But yeah, super encouraging. And the other thing that that I also like is just they seem, even on the grass surface, really fast, right? I mean, they're flying around. There were a couple of, you know, busted plays, things like that. But it wasn't that they were completely out of position. It's just it, it was a it was it was close. But yeah, that that team speed, that that youthfulness, that that I think that's going to help as well. Well, and then again, remember, Jair didn't play last night. Yeah. Stokes is not yet fully back. Right, we've got even more talent that's coming back in the secondary as well. So uh, I, I want to go back to Valentine because, you know, you, you made the statement, Bill, that he was involved in every play. So yeah, we allow a touchdown. It's Valentine. We have passes dependent. It's Valentine. Defensive pass interference is twice. It's Valentine. He's obviously somebody who is really physical and really going to be enjoyable to watch most of the time and frustrating a small amount of the time. And hopefully that latter part gets minimized as he gets more experienced. <laughs> and this is a guy you know, a seventh round draft pick who is working his way onto the team. And we can even start taking a look at that. Who are some of the guys that are, are working their way onto this team. And I'll throw one out to you that I like. And I mentioned it to you guys last night in Emmanuel Wilson, the running back. He is, I mean, you know, he had the impressive game last week and then last night added to it to just say, yeah, I'm, I'm making this team. He's, he's showing what he needs to show. Malik Heath is showing what he needs to know as a receiver. Uh, these are guys that that I think are really working their way onto the team. And and last year, you know, they kept every drafted rookie, which was amazing. I don't know that they can do it this year, but there are guys that are ready to go that are, are going to surprise and make this team. I'm going to pull into the statistics here for Emmanuel Wilson. 21 rushes, 174 yards, and two touchdowns in two games. Um, yes, it was not against the first team, but he looked the part. I think the looking the part, right? He looked like he could see the holes. He looked like he could accelerate into the space. He had the right, you know, the, the right vision that you want to have in a running back. He looked the part most importantly, as far as Randall Cobb is concerned, Melly Keith, whatever Randall Cobb is completely <laughs> and totally rejuvenated. And, and I agree with you, John Malik Keith is a player who's really showing the it factor as far as the wide receivers are concerned. And he's going to make things tougher for some of the other wide receivers that are fighting for spots. Well, he's, he's also, Heath is also a full seven or eight inches taller than Randall Cobb was as well, which is what makes it even more impressive. Well, you know, Jeff, Jeff said these sort of leg uh, modification surgery. So uh, <laughs> this is going in the other direction and stretching him out. But yeah, Cobb, it's, it's Cobb the is, Anakin Skywalker Cobb, Cobb surgery, is absolutely yes. amazing. You guys kind of stole my thunder. I was going to talk about Emmanuel Wilson, but when the announcers started talking about him showing himself off for other teams, I got a little bit offended. I'm like, wait a minute. No. <laughs> this guy isn't showing himself off for other teams. 
this guy's playing for the Packers. As soon as, as soon as he had that 80 yard run last week, what I look for in the preseason, there's not a lot you can see. I mean, like you said, they're playing against guys that are going to be working at quick trip, you know, but when you can do things that other people just can't do, when he ran away from everybody, he's got away about 215, 220. He's not small. And when he just sprinted away from everybody on that 80-yard run, I looked at him and I said, this guy's a Packer. So when they started talking about, oh, he's showcasing himself for other teams, shut the hell up. He's showcasing himself so he can get a few carries for the Packers and he can contribute to the Packers because the guy's a player, but the guy's a hell of an athlete. Well, they said that you know his top speed was, what, 22 miles an hour? And, and that, like yeah. I said, pe- most people can't – that they don't run that fast. So, I mean – and, and that's, In pads, yeah. In yeah, pads. that's what I mean. Full game, yeah. And he was – as he took out – that was that was my thought last week too. Like, oh, my God, he just ran – he ran away from the defensive backs, which typically you don't see. But, yes, but then yet he's got – he can do the spin move, you know, lower his shoulder. So, he's not just this, you know, dancing around finesse back either – but man, get him in open space. See ya. Bill, you got anything to say about Jaden Reed? Because he was one of the guys that made a hand catch before too. And I mean, I, that's, that goes, I mean, it's not as, it's not as big of a burst as running 80 yards for a touchdown, but you see most of the catches that are made in the NFL. Now, those are hitting them between whatever two numbers they have, the eight and the zero or the one and the eight or whatever. And Love had the confidence to throw a couple of them out there where guys had to reach out and catch them. It makes it a lot harder to defend, and it makes it a lot easier for the quarterback if guys can do that. And there's a few guys, younger guys with the Packers, that have shown the ability to catch the ball out there with their hands. Well, I think the thing about Jaden Reed as well is that he's not actually that tall. And, you know, the, the whole scouting report is he plays way taller than he actually is. And I think we've already seen evidence of exactly that. You know, I also wanted to give a callback to on the defensive side. You mentioned uh, Wooden and Brooks. These guys are are definitely steals in the draft. I mean, the, the way they've been playing on that defensive line to, is amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited about our about our front you know, our front five, essentially the, the edge rushers in the central three, for sure. Anything else, it's the, the depth that's, and there's nothing exciting about the word depth, but if you're an NFL fan, or if you're somebody like you guys that does one of these shows, you understand how important depth is. You've got to have guys that can step in because you can have the, the best 80 guys in the league. If all of a sudden, you know, 15 of them are hurt. You're done. You're, you're toast. So you, you, you gotta have depth, but, but and, even more, and that's what they've shown, but even more than that, right within that front five, that defensive rotation, that is by far the most rotated area of the field. You've got huge guys. They need to be able to sprint every time. And we've got that ability to rotate all of those players. So they're all going to be fresh and playing at their very best. That's true. Yeah. Coming to the fourth quarter, that, you know, that offensive line is going to probably be tired, right? So you've got these guys who are still pretty fresh, rotated in, and uh, hopefully will we'll, we'll cause problems. Quick question on injuries before we look at maybe who's not making the squad here. Billy, you played rugby in college. Taking a look at last night's injury, why aren't all rugby players dead? <laughs> well, because the general rule of thumb is you stop at every tavern on the right. <laughs> so that meant that we were always, we were always loose. You know, we were never, we were never too tight. You know, we, we talk about that a lot of times. And I think number one, we aren't as fast as these guys. 
And number two, when you're tackling without any kind of padding, uh, you can't use your padding to, to make it a harder hit. You, you, you're not quite as confident. You're not going to go in there quite as full speed. Or Maybe there were some guys that did it from time to time, but you can only hit as hard as your body will allow. And the other thing I think with, with rugby is there, there weren't as many knee injuries in rugby. There were some, obviously, but they, there weren't as many just because you didn't have the you know the blocking below the waist or anything because there's no blocking in rugby um you would get tackled below the waist from time to time but there weren't as many knee injuries so everybody always asked about that and it was you could only hit as hard as your body had hit and a lot of the real frequent injuries that happen in football don't happen in rugby just because the, the different nature of the game the guys aren't 300 pounds out there either right in rugby no yeah, there was, I mean, there, was, yeah. There, was bigger, there was bigger guys out there, but yeah, no, they, they, you didn't have a, a ton of guys that were, you know, over 300 pounders, no. Yeah, speed is probably the factor that you mentioned, too. That's probably the biggest thing in injuries like we saw last night. So we'll, we'll circle back to that one in a little bit, but let's take a look at players maybe not working their way on the roster. I'm going to throw a big name at you right now of a guy who I think has a hard time that if the Packers only keep six receivers, might not be that sixth receiver. And I'm losing confidence in Samari Toure. Where where do you guys stand on Toure, or, or who else do you see as working in that well, role? Well, let, let's look at who we, we've got, right? So Watson, Dobbs, and Reed are absolute locks. They're going to be our top three receivers. And then you've got Toure, Wicks, Heath, and DuBose. And yeah, it's difficult to see that we're going to keep seven of those receivers. And you know, Toure had no receptions last night, and so... On the other hand, he did all of the punt returns. He did all of the kickoff returns. But definitely, you know, the question is, is Gutekunst going to be thinking about, well, I want to keep my draft picks from this year. If you're going to keep all your draft picks from this year, you either have to cut Toure or you have to keep seven players. Because I don't think at this point you can cut Malik Heath. I think he's going to find a position somewhere else. You can't hope that Heath is going to go on to a practice roster. How many tight ends do they normally keep? Do they keep three or four normally? I think three. We've, yeah. we've done yeah. four. We've done four before we've as well. Four. I mean, certainly we have open positions because of tight ends with the with the injury. Um, you know, we've got Musgrave, Crafton. Who knows what we're going to do after that? So, yeah, they, they definitely have some space for moving around. But I would go back to the fact that Matt LaFleur wants to play a running oriented game. And you're going to be going more than two tight ends as far as that is concerned. And yes, I think that they are going to pick up somebody off the waiver wire after the cuts are through, but it's difficult to see if your focus is going to be on running, keeping seven wide receivers, but who knows? I mean, they've well, done it before. So, and I was thinking, cause they drafted two tight ends. You mentioned, I mean, we've talked about them keeping all their draft picks. They drafted yeah. two tight ends. And I really, ever since the, the decision to, to, send Rodgers to the Jets and to go with love. And then when they, when they did have the draft and they, they emphasized the tight ends the way that they did. I mean, I really think that those, those plays, those, those types where the, where the tight end barely comes off the line of scrimmage and catches the ball. I think those are going to be a big part of the Packers offense. That and the fact that I think tight ends are maybe a little more versatile on special teams 
Now, when we think of that, we always think of receivers and the return game and things like that. But you look at all the different things that tight ends can do as far as lining up as blockers on, on, on field goal attempts or, you know, covering kickoffs or blocking on kickoffs or whatever, you know, you talk about that fourth tight end, there's a number of different things you can do on special teams with him. When you talk about keeping Ture, it might not be the choice of keeping a different receiver instead of him. It might be keeping an extra tight end instead of him. Or picking up an extra tight end instead of him. Or picking up an extra tight end. Well, they've been using Zagara as a fullback too. So that's kind of a, a new wrinkle as well. So rather than, you know, a tight end, putting him on the line, kind of putting him in the backfield. So it'll be interesting if, if they keep him and then if, if, what position they officially, you know, recognize him as if he's a tight end or a fullback. Yeah, I, sure. DeGuara, DeGuara is my number one player who is on the edge. He was, you know, we're now multiple years in and he's still not made his mark. And the third round uh, draft pick curse, I think, may fall down on Josiah DeGuara this year. It, it, the only, I, in my view, the only reason for keeping him is if we've got a shortage of numbers and we can't find something else off the waiver wire. But I think that this might be the year that DeGuara does not make the team. Well, and with the getting back a little bit to the uh, the tight end, you know, the Travis Kelsey, right? Go, you know, four or five yards down the field and sit there or, or you know, and just and turn around and yeah. the ball's on you and then do something because you're six six you know, 260 and run over the defensive backs at that point, that's hopefully the Packers will start using that, utilizing the size they have a tight end, the speed they have a tight end, and that's pretty effective against defensive backs and other teams. Now, granted, you know, are are these tight ends going to be the next Kelsey? I doubt maybe that would be awesome or Gronkowski or whomever, but that opens a playbook a little bit. That's something we have not seen that um in the Packers playbook as of late well and I, I made a bold pronouncement the other day when I was on with uh with Wildy and he, he gave me a little bit of a sideways look on it but I'm dead serious I, I know that they were probably uh exaggerating a little when they when they said that uh Luke Musgrave was the fastest guy in practice the one day but to even suggest that about a guy that big is is something else and I've been very impressed with what they've done with him and also impressed with the fact that even though he's a rookie, they've limited him quite a bit. I said, if everybody stays healthy and if they run the offense that I think they want to run, I think he's got a chance to be the NFC rookie of the year. Wow. And I mean, All it, right. it's, it, you know, normally you don't think of a, a, a second round tight end that was hurt most of the season last year doing it. And again, it all depends on him staying healthy, but I think if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be the target of a lot of those little passes and get a lot of run after catch. I mean, he's right, heard it here first. He has certainly shown those flashes so far in the preseason. And I, I think I agree with you. You look at what Matt LaFleur has done in the preseason, you know, he's thrown some long passes that are essentially let's go and try to stretch the field, but it's been a lot of shorter things, you know, things that you're going to build the confidence of your young quarterback and guess who's going to catch a lot of those passes, your tight end. And yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. I think Musgrave is well set up that if he stays injury free, having a really big year. All right, so now if you had watched the game Saturday night on NBC26, local broadcast, or throughout the Packer television network, during the pregame, they did a piece. Now, your first-round draft pick is not going to not make the team. We know that. But they did a piece, Bill, on Lucas Van Ness, underwhelming so far as their number one pick. Would you agree he's underwhelming so far, or what is he progressing the way he should be? 
I think there's been enough flashes of brilliance. And again, when we talk about underwhelming or overwhelming during the preseason, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. I just want them all to stay healthy. I, I just, I don't, if it's an obvious choice, like he's going to make the team, then why waste it in the preseason? So if they know he's going to make the team, why waste it? Now, okay. if it, if it comes out, what the first thing people will say is if all of a sudden, you know, we, we get through week five and he's still underwhelming. Well, they should have done more with him in the preseason, whatever. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. I Maybe mean, he's not going to make it. I don't know. But I think the preseason is for guys like Emmanuel Wilson, where, you know, all of a sudden he runs away from everybody 80 yards and you go, hey, we, maybe we should pay more attention to that guy. They know about Lucas Van Ness. All right, Jeff, offense, defense aside, I know you want to talk about it. Bill, you may not have heard this, but we affectionately call the special teams players the asshats uh, for oh, reasons, cool. you know, as previously aware. Jeff, you are just not impressed with an asshat at this point, are you? Well, you want them to improve. You you want them to be well coached. You don't want a freaking penalty on every kick, right? And we're still seeing all these penalties. So now you've got a sixth round draft choice, right? So Mason Crosby's out of the picture. All-time leading scorer, going to be a, uh, certainly a Packer Hall of Famer. And now you bring in Mr. Carlson, right? So last week, Mr. Carlson, you don't want to be like, oh shit, what's going to happen whenever your kicker walks on the field, right? You just don't want this. So last night, the first extra point, Neil and I were, were, were very, were closely scrutinizing um, <laughs> that extra point and it was, didn't go wide right, you know, or why he, he made it. It wasn't right down the middle, but he, he at least made it. Second one was, you know, a little better, a little further back too, because of said penalty for the asshats. But then there was a field goal made, a 52, was a 52 yard field goal. So, okay, that's good, but there's still, Still lots of questions with the ass hats. And is this sixth round draft choice going to make the team? But I don't think they haven't brought anyone else. This is one position where they've not brought any competition in. I think that they are committed. I mean, Rich Bisaccia did coach his brother to be somebody who's a consistent NFL kicker. And I think that they see that same vision as far as Carlson, right? They know that if they lose a game or two this season because of kicking, um, it's not probably going to make a difference as far as the overall outcome of the season, but you can see the potential. I mean, that 52 yard field goal was really long and really straight. That was a really good field goal. And you correct a few mechanical things. You get that native ability that you saw in that field goal. And you've got somebody who's going to kick for the Packers for a long time. But I also made the comment too. Some of the kickoffs were short. I mean, granted the one where there was a 15 yard penalty, of course, but that didn't that wasn't even close to the goal line. I mean, some of those kickoffs were short and again, it's warm weather. So what happens when it's, you know, 10 degrees, the ball's hard. It doesn't fly as far. I don't want to see these, these kickoffs barely reaching the 10 yard line and being run back. I want to see this ball going in the end zone on kickoffs every single time. Is that what Basaccio wants? Because from what I understand about Anders Carlson is he can kick at the door County as long as he knows which way North is, is the reason I mean, I would just as soon see him kick it into the crowd and have the other team start at the 25. Absolutely. Too, yeah, me is too. Bis Bisaccia is part of the strategy. Is he having them hang it up there because they want him to have it inside the 25 or inside the 20? Is that a strategic thing? Because the one thing I've heard about Anders Carlson is it ain't leg strength. Okay. You know, it, 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 that, that he can, because I think his 52-yard field goal went into the crowd. Um, yeah, it was it was so, way good from more than fifty two. Yeah, <laughs> so, 
leg strength is not the issue with him. Okay. I, I just wonder if that was a strategic thing with, with Basachi, if it's more of a Basachi problem than an Honors Carlson problem. But when it comes right down to it, and what, what was said before, I just, I still, I can't buy it. If anybody in that locker room is saying, well, if we lose a couple of games with the kicking game this year, it's not going to matter. Huh? You lose any game with the kicking game. It's going to matter. I'm, I'm not of the opinion that, well, they're going to suck this year anyway. No, 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 no. And I don't think, I don't think anybody in that locker room, especially the guys that wear the golf shirts, I don't think anybody in that locker room feels that way. I mean, I, I agree with you. I actually am going to pull probably for a Packers, you know, nine and eight type of season is in the end. But on the other hand, there's also a long-term vision. And, you know, you've got somebody who's going to be an absolute monster, you know, somebody who's approaching a Justin Tucker level. If you've got that level of talent, if you think that that is what Anders, Anders Carlson's talent level is, you're willing to accept the growing pains that might be occurring. And I, I you know, yes, they don't want to lose. I, I didn't mean to imply that they wanted to lose, but I think that they are willing to accept some growing pains if they, you know, because they see what the vision is. And I want to go back to this strategic element with Bisaccia. So there, there, there was a, a fourth down that we didn't go for it on the Patriot side of the field. And yeah, I was, I was cranky because, well, you know, it's a, fourth and short why aren't you going for it in regular season you should be going for it statistically you should always be going for it but this is the preseason and they want to learn how to do the plays and there's no value in kicking it out the back of the end zone on a kickoff there's no value in not getting any reps for the punt team and so you're not you don't care whether you win or lose in the end in the preseason you care about prepping for the regular season that means seeing the coverage team doing what it needs to do. It means seeing the punt team. Can they get a coffin corner kick or something along those lines? Can they cover these punts such that it's worthwhile? And so I think that you're right that it's strategic, but it may be strategic, especially in the context of the preseason, that we've got to see what these people can do on the asshats. And you're not going to see that if you do the easy kick out of the end zone. So what you're saying is they're willing to learn. They have to learn, right? I mean, we've got to find the right people. With that said, Neil, let's take a look ahead. Seattle Seahawks are coming into Green Bay for the third preseason game. It is what we call a gold package game, Bill, where the Milwaukee ticket holders are going to be coming up. I'll give my opinion on that in a little bit. What do you want to see, though, in this third game? Do you want the starters to go through their routine prepping for the game, or do you want to see more of those bubble players in situational uh, setups they can do to stay healthy we talked about this on uh, on Wilby and Tausch as well and it's the thing that frustrates people in all sports but I think it really frustrates people in football is you, you take all these other things you draft well you do all your research you develop the players you hire the right coaching staff it's how much it comes down to luck and the biggest aspect of luck is injuries you can't prevent injuries. You can try. You can do your best. But guys are going to get hurt. You know, and, and it, it all depends on who it is and how long they're out. I mean, we can sit here and, and talk in these glowing terms about, you know, what they're going to do this season. Or, you know, I think they're going to be better than Neil does. And maybe I think they're going to be better than other people think they're going to be, too. But if David Bakhtiari gets hurt in the first week and he's out for the whole season, that changes my opinion of things considerably. And that's just luck. That, that's, that's not a matter of, you know, unless you don't consider it luck when you have an aging left tackle that's that important to your team. But, 
that's just that's where it is. It, if he gets hurt, or there, there's a few other guys too. You know, I mean, if one of those running backs goes down, yeah, you got the other guy, but your depth is starting to hurt a little bit. That's where Wilson comes into play. Along the offensive line, I think along the defensive line as well, we discussed it. They have to stay healthy. With that in mind, my answer for, for against the Seahawks, whatever they have to do to keep those key guys healthy. I don't care if they ship them off the Door County for the weekend and let them watch the game on TV. I don't care at all about the game versus the Seahawks. I don't care if Jordan Love plays at all. I don't care if A.J. Dillon plays at all. I don't care if any of, any of the key guys – I mean, let's just take a look at all these depth guys because I, I could care less. If, if one of those guys gets hurt, it, it's, it's not worth it. Well, with that, Bill, let's, let's go to your Twitter account. You put the uh, question out last night on Twitter, uh, the poll question of what you wanted. You wanted to hear what people think of the preseason. Don't hold back. What do you think of the preseason? I think that it's, it's just a product now of the fact that a team like the Packers that you know, automatically sells out their season tickets every single year and has them sold out for the next, you know, 12 decades or whatever. They force their season ticket holders into whether they have the green package or the gold package, J.D., which I know you love to talk about. (laughs) But, But they force their season ticket holders into buying those games. Otherwise, as much as I'm not really a fan of these uh, practices that they have together with other teams, because it seemed like with the Bengals and with the, the Patriots, that there was so much ill will that was developed during those practices that it, it came through in the games where you had a lot of personal foul penalties. I thought the refs got warned a little bit too much in that Bengals game. I thought they called some pretty cheesy personal fouls in that game, but I think if the teams had the choice, I think they would go to those, yeah, where you bring in a team to practice. I think they would go to that instead of having preseason games, but it's never going to happen because they make too much money on the preseason. Right, you on don't other- sell tickets to joint practices, but the joint practices seem to be good. On the other hand, we have talked for 40 minutes about what players have done in the preseason, <laughs> so uh, I would go Vita Infra that uh, there is some value for players as far as learning what is going to happen with them and you know who are the players that are going to have a chance to do something. So, And you, you learn different things from games and practice. I will concede, Neil, that, yes, I understand from a season ticket holder's perspective, purchasing games, you like having or not having to buy those extra games that are gold package. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. Bill, you're, you're, you're a Milwaukee guy. It's my plea. If you can help me, just get the Milwaukee fans to understand, get into town earlier, get into <laughs> town earlier, and, and be ready for the game to start. It's not like it was when we were kids where you could drive into town on, on a Sunday morning and pull up next to the stadium at 1145 and walk in and have your beer and you're seated for kickoff. It's not, it doesn't happen that way anymore in Green Bay. Get there three, four hours early, and then I'll be happy. Gee, I never had a problem showing up three or four hours early for game. You know, <laughs> I we would have showed up earlier than that if we could have, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, the only opens three hours at Lambeau time. Field and at County Stadium with uh, with showing up for for those games three or four hours early. All right, that's what we need. We need that philosophy, Bill. Thank you. No worries. The other thing I think we can hope for in the Seattle game is that they get to play the whole game. So special circumstances happened in Green Bay last night. Uh, we've got play suspended technically. Uh, game is not canceled or anything like that. Anything like that? I guess suspended is the word that they use. 
We saw this with the DeMar Hamlin game last year. Jeff, you did a little research on this. You've got some history of suspended games. What did you find out? Yeah, so I thought this was going to be an extremely short segment, and it, and it is, but I found a, a little bit more than I was expecting. So as anybody that was watching the game last night or follow-up, so uh, the game ended with about 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it was due to the injury uh, to Patriots rookie cornerback Isaiah Bolden, and the score was 21-17 Patriots. Packers were, Packers were driving, looking good, but you know, the game, uh, clearly a, a significant or potentially significant injury uh, with the spinal cord and just he was immobilized. It was serious, but it wasn't players didn't seem to be distraught or things like that. But, you know, still serious. And I think, you know, to prematurely end the game, I think was fine. Right. It's a preseason game. Bill, as you've, you've talked about, you know, they let's just not push the push it here. So interestingly enough, there were two other preseason games that the Packers were involved in that also ended prematurely. And strangely, both of them had to do with Lightning and Canton, Ohio. So in 1980, the Hall of Fame game played August 2nd, 1980 against the San Diego Chargers, ended with 529 left in the fourth quarter and the score 0-0 due to severe Lightning. Over two decades later, on August 4th, 2003, in yet another Hall of Fame game, the Packers lost 9-0 to against the Kansas City Chiefs when the game was called with 549 left in the third quarter due to severe rain and lightning. You know, in terms of an injury happening, this is the first time, at least that I could find, uh, where a game was, was, was in the process of being played and then stopped prematurely. But there were two other preseason games I really didn't find any other games that were stopped after, you know, obviously the last year's game with DeMar Hamlin, but I really didn't find anything, you know, lots that were a number of preseason games that were canceled due to lousy field positions. The Packers infamously were in one of those, another hall of fame game in 2016. Yeah. Just not a lot of, not a lot out there where the game was actually stopped early. So that's three for the Packers in the preseason. Strange, strange things afoot. Talking about the the injuries, though, and, you know, the big game last season, the DeMar Hamlin game, certainly unprecedented uh, as far as stopping the game and just not finishing it at all. Uh, and now we had it again last night. They call it a suspended game, but it, it's clearly preseason not going to yeah. be finished. But there has to be a standard operating procedure that's either in place or in the process of getting put into place, Bill, the, the NFL, there's got to be enough high-paid lawyers and other people involved in the league offices that they've got to come up with a procedure to say, this is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to handle it going forward. What do you think that thing is that they've got to do? Why can't they just do it the way they did it last night? You know, why can't they just get their – head referee and the two coaches together and say, here's what we should do and, and do it. I thought that was fine. I don't, I don't think, I don't think there has to be some kind of standard operating procedure for it. I, I if you know, especially about, with preseason game. What about right, regular, but, but, but for a regular season game, I mean, Matt LaFleur is not going to agree to suspend that. If it's a regular season game, we're in a playoff race. There is no chance in hell that we're suspending it under those circumstances in a situation where he clearly, you know, there were, or at least there was evidence that he had some sensation, right? I mean, there, there certainly have been plenty of games with, 
you know, threats of paralysis or certainly, you know, where it's a really <laughs> dire situation for the player that's involved. But the DeMar Hamlin game was an entirely different situation. That's cardiac arrest is entirely different from possible paralysis, but they have sensation. So what do you do differently in a regular season game versus a preseason game? Well, I, I guess it depends on the situation. You know, I mean, who who did make the decision in the DeMar Hamlin game? I don't even know. Is that the officials that made that decision or was it a co combination of the officials and the coaches and the, the general managers get involved? Yeah. I, I don't even know. It seemed like, it, you know, and this is going a little bit from memory, and I read a little bit about it again today. There was con con some conflicting stories, but it seemed like the NFL wanted them to continue to play. And basically it was the head coaches that said, no way in hell are we moving forward with this. And so it sort of forced the league's hand that, okay, if we have two coaches are, that are in solidarity and agreement that they're not having their players play, well, there's not a whole hell of a lot the NFL can do about it. Because it's not that this isn't going to happen again. It's probably when it happens again. I'd like to see some kind of protocol. Like I said, people that are paid a lot more than me and smarter than me should be able to come up with some kind of guidelines or something and in terms of what to do because yeah i think it's going to happen where there's going to be another injury situation happen where the game can't go on did you say is it when it's life-threatening i mean was that the big thing with hamlin the fact that yeah somebody goes out and has a compound fracture of their leg and it's nasty and you don't want to look at it but right. you don't think they're going to die i mean they, right. they weren't real sure whether demar hamlin was going to live or die I mean, and I think the, that was the differentiation, right? That was, that was the difference, right? Is that they administered CPR on the field and they were concerned that either he did die or that he was, he may not live. Yeah. Like you said, a compound fracture. Okay. It's gross. You know, see Joe Theismann, right? Infamously. Yeah. So, but you know, that's one of those, okay, it's not great, but it's not necessarily life-threatening or at least at that particular point in time. But let's go so, to a situation like a Daryl Stingley, right? Getting it where the edges are, where standard operating procedures have to be, right? There's one thing when somebody has the threat of paralysis, but they at least have some sort of sensation. What about if it's actual paralysis that is occurring? Is, you know, where are they going to, you know, I, I don't think they would make the same decision now as they did back when Daryl Stingley was playing. From there, they've got to just come up with a whole list. Okay, this injury, this injury, this, you know, and boy, that gets really hard to come up with an all-inclusive list there as well. They're, you know, paid the a lot. Of... They're paid a lot of money in order to come up with things like this. That is what lawyers are paid to do. So when you look back at the, the Bills Bengals game and even last night's Packer game, technically it's called suspended play. The theory there is they are going to finish the game. Play was suspended. It'll get finished later. Yeah. And in the regular season, I don't think the NFL schedule is conducive to that. Baseball is different. Basketball is different. You can suspend play and pick it up a different day. The way that the NFL schedule is, you just really can't do that. You right. you have to come up with a way to still try to finish a game, in my opinion. And maybe I'm being the cold, heartless bastard on that one, but well, no. But the medical, the, you know, remember, you know, the 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 one death on the field, Detroit Lions player in the early seventies. They finished the game. I mean, it was not. You know, it was sort of it was late in the game and it was pretty much a foregone conclusion, but they still finished the game. Now, that obviously in no way, shape or form would happen today. 
yeah. uh, somebody freaking died on the field. But yeah, um, it's a different it's a different era. The optics yeah. are different. The media is oh, different. Yeah. Things like that. There should be some kind of plan in place to have this. So the NFL one doesn't look stupid. So that it, it, you know, they can say, okay, we have thought about this and here is the protocol that we vetted. You know, obviously it's going to have to go through the NFL Players Association as well should, but just like everybody get on the same page and say, okay, what happens when this happens next? We're not going to solve the problem, but we know that the league definitely needs to get something in place for that. So with that, uh, let's come up with some final thoughts here for the preseason uh, before the, the, we get into our regular season broadcast as well. Uh, Bill, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, let people know that they can find you on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we'll get some links out on our pages. Your Saturday night Facebook Live when you're performing music is spectacular. I want to let people know they can get some great classic rock there. I, I realized too, you know, too late, we probably should have done a pop culture quiz with Bill like we did with Scott Lynn. That would have been fun as well. Next time. Next time, Next time Bill. <laughs> All right. Uh, so your thoughts uh, on the season, Bill, what do you like? You know what? And, and I, I, again, I keep uh, going back to my visit with Wildy and Tausch, but I just in listening to them and in listening to sometimes them and sometimes their their callers, it's like when did it stop being fun? You know when when did it? And and I I take partial responsibility for this because I was at the kind of the the beginning of the whole daytime sports talk radio and everybody was afraid of being a homer and all this stuff, not the Homer, who's a friend, but uh, a Homer. Uh, but uh, it's almost like there's some sort of bonus for the first person that correctly predicts that Jordan Love is going to suck. You know, I, I, I just, I, I don't understand this. I just, I want it to be more fun. I, I want people to be a little more positive, but it just, it seems like there's so much negativity surrounding the Packers in the post Aaron Rodgers era. I'm encouraged. I think they've got a lot of young talent. I think love is going to be better in his first year than people think he's going to be. I mentioned before the, the luck aspect, as far as the injuries go, I think they could win as many as 11 games if they can stay healthy and that'll put them right in the spot for a, a playoff spot. And I, I don't think a lot of people are looking in those terms, but uh, I think I think they're talented all around. And again, if they can have relatively decent luck with injuries, I think they can win, win as many as 11 games. Living here in Minnesota, watching some of the uh, Vikings preseason games, I mean, they're struggling to score. Watching uh, the, the quarterback series on Netflix, seeing how the, the Vikings so overperformed last year with their record, the 13-3 and three historic comeback. I think this division is just totally up for grabs. I don't think that there's one alpha team here at all. They all have glaring weaknesses. They all have strengths. And I'm optimistic, as, as you are, Bill, that if the injury luck really shines on them, you know, in terms of they don't have injuries and they, they maintain a good, uh, mostly healthy roster, I think they can do uh, they can they can win a lot of games in the division and 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 shine in the division. Yeah, I agree with both of you at a fundamental level. I am optimistic enough to think that we will do better than 500, but I also think that going with Jeff's thought, I think a this could be the year that a sub 500 record wins the NFC North and why not us if that's where it goes. I have three final thoughts as far as uh 
thinking about where we are going forward. First of all, it was great watching football last night and last week, but specifically, it's not really the football season until I've got a cooler, my laptop on top of a cooler, and Jeff's watching football on top of the cooler with me. So yes. th thank, thank you for joining me uh, remotely. Secondly, we haven't talked about Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford has had a broadly impressive preseason. There were a lot of people who thought that he was – over drafted being a fifth round pick given his accomplishments or you know his very variable accomplishments at Penn State but Sean Clifford's 33 of 45 for 345 yards in that preseason he's shown flashes of brilliance he's shown flashes that are maybe not so brilliant uh, there's some comparisons to Favre although he doesn't have that arm strength and Favre's arm strength was pretty critical for overcoming those things I'd like to see what Sean Clifford can do against a first team defense and maybe we'll see a little bit of that next week and then finally talking about linemen I really liked what Sean Ryan was doing in the opening day of practice. I liked what Sean Ryan did last night. And so I think Sean Ryan might finally be the person to break the third round curse. All right. And tailgating is back in lot one at Lambeau Field. We'll talk more about tailgating uh, as we get into the regular season. I said it before and I'll say it again. I, I, I do like the way that Jordan Love has come around. I think that we are going to continue to be blessed with quarterback play here in Green Bay. And the one thing that I've been harping on for uh, about 12 years now on the defense that, that I've wanted to see is speed, 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 speed. And that has been on display in spades. Uh, this is a fast team. And that is the way that the league has been going. You have to play fast on defense and the Packers have figured that out. And I'm really looking forward to that being a big factor uh, as this season goes on. All right, Bill, I do have one last question for you when you're performing songs. Who, who, who do you lean towards Beatles or Grateful Dead? I do, I do songs for both of them. I, I tend to learn, I, I lean towards whatever's three or four chords. And they both have a lot of songs that are three or four chords. So that's good. But I, I, I like both of them. I, I do, I do a lot of my favorite songs that I play are Beatles and Grateful Dead and Rolling Stones and all that old stuff. And I was going to play Dead Flowers for you tonight, but we couldn't get my guitar to work right. All right. And I know you've got a great story about seeing the Grateful Dead, I think, at Alpine Valley. So maybe we'll catch that one next time as well, right? Oh, yeah. I've got a few <laughs> stories about seeing the Grateful Dead at Alpine Valley. <laughs> All right. Somebody, well, it, it, I, I, I saw on Facebook, somebody said, did, did our parents really drop us off at the skating rink when we were kids? And I just said, replace skating rink with Alpine Valley for the Eagles concert. We, my, my friends and I, we, we talked a little bit with you guys about when you graduated from high school. We literally did when we were 15 years old in 1980. We got dropped off at Alpine Valley for the Eagles. That was my first big concert. But all of us were 15. None of us could drive yet. So we, uh, my buddy Tom Bogard's mom had to drop us all off at Alpine Valley. That was quite an experience. I can imagine. <laughs> Eye-opening, wasn't it? it was, A story it for another well, time. We, we all made it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bill, thanks for joining us. And uh, for those of you watching us on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. It's free. Leave a comment as always. You can also find the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat. That's all one word, Green Bay Chat. We are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Spotify. On Facebook, it is the GBC podcast, Green Bay Chat. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night. Good night.